Welcome to the August 2023 edition of Outbeat News In-Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, I cannot even begin to tell you how excited I am about tonight's show. We're talking with Cleve Jones, a longtime Bay Area activist and now full-time resident here in Sonoma County, and Charlie Beal. He's the president of the Gilbert Baker Foundation. Both of these men are going to be featured speakers at the upcoming Flag in the Map exhibit at Napa Valley College, happening this October 6th. And KRCB is the official media sponsor for this event, and we want every one of our listeners, including you, to join us for this historic event celebrating LGBTQ History Month this year. So stay with us. All the details are coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, August 27th, 2023. This is Greg Morali with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of August 27th, 2023. Here in California, tragedy in the form of a hate crime struck in Cedar Glen, a small mountain town in San Bernardino County. Every time someone ripped down the rainbow pride flag from the Magpie clothing store, owner Laura Ann Carlton responded by putting up an even bigger one. Carlton, who was 66 years old, did not waver in her support of the LGBTQ community. Around 5 p.m. a week ago Friday, she was shot dead by a man who made disparaging remarks about the shop's pride flag. The man fled the scene on foot, and deputies found him with a handgun. He was killed in an encounter with the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. The agency said, quote, detectives learned the suspect made several disparaging remarks about the rainbow flag and stood outside the store before shooting Carlton. It was unclear whether the shooting was being investigated as a hate crime, and additional details of what preceded the attack were not immediately available. The shooting in Cedar Glen near Lake Arrowhead, California, came about a month after the Anti-Defamation League and the LGBTQ advocacy group GLAAD released a report indicating a recent rise in anti-LGBTQ harassment, vandalism, and assault here in the United States. Carlton's daughter, Ari Carlton, who's 28, said that her mother was fearless and put the needs of others ahead of her own. Carlton had been a pillar in the community, and when a rare blizzard struck in the area this year, Carlton and her husband, Bort Carlton, converted their shop into a relief center. Her daughter said that Carlton always preached love, acceptance, and equality, and those values were reflected in her store, Magpie, where she carried a collection of personally curated, high-quality, and ethically sourced clothing, and sometimes her own design. Carlton's store, The Magpie, is listed as a business ally by the Lake Arrowhead LGBTQ plus community group. Lori didn't identify as LGBTQ plus, but spent her time helping and advocating for everyone in the community. Carlton is survived by her husband and nine children. And here locally, Guerneville Pride organizers announced a new Pride celebration will happen this October 13th, 14th, and 15th. A Pride celebration hasn't been held in the town since Sonoma County organizers moved the June celebration out of Guerneville for a larger and more central location in Santa Rosa. That was back in 2017. Cleve Jones, who's now a full-time resident in Guerneville and well-known activist and community organizer, said that a wide variety of different events are planned for this year's three-day celebration, including a showing of the movie Milk at the Rio Nido Theater and a display of the Flag in the Map exhibit sponsored by Napa Valley College and the Gilbert Baker Foundation. Instead of taking place during Pride Month in June, Guerneville's celebration is tied to National Coming Out Day, recognized on October 11th. Jones told the Press Democrat recently that as violence and discrimination against LGBTQ plus individuals rises across the nation, the importance of this year's event is mounting. 
He said, quote, this is not a time to allow pride celebrations to go away. In our opinion, this is a time to make sure these things happen, end quote. This year, quilt panels from the AIDS Memorial Quilt, conceptualized by Cleve Jones, will be on display to honor West County residents who lost their lives to the AIDS pandemic. The event will also include a clean and sober social space and, of course, a parade at 12 noon on October 15th. There will be a small fee for motorized vehicles and floats to participate in the parade, but non-motorized groups are welcome to participate for free. You can learn more about Russian River Pride at russianriveralliance.org forward slash pride dash parade. We hope to see you all there. And coming up this October, Napa Valley College is hosting the world-famous Flag in the Map exhibit. This historical show features 48 images from around the world of how people are using the rainbow flag for activism, celebration, and to make themselves visible to the world, showing that LGBTQ plus people are everywhere. The exhibit showing will be followed in the evening with a special speaking presentation with Charlie Beal, the president of the Gilbert Baker Foundation, and Cleve Jones, who is the author of When We Rise and the creator of the AIDS quilt. Cleve took part in the making of the original Pride flag back in 1978. This event coincides with LGBT History Month and is open to the general public, all free of charge. Tickets for the speaking program, though, are required as space is limited. You can get yours right now via our website at OutBeatNews.com. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. This October, Napa Valley College is hosting the Flag in the Map exhibit. It's an art show of sorts featuring images from around the world of how people are using the rainbow pride flag, created by Gilbert Baker back in 1978, for activism and visibility. And as you heard in our news segment, there are forces in the world, even right here in California, that are trying to erase LGBTQ plus people by attacking our flag, sometimes even murdering those who fly it. This exhibit is more important today than ever for everyone to see. And tonight I have both of the men who will be featured guest speakers at Napa Valley College, Charlie Beal, the president of the Gilbert Baker Foundation, and Cleve Jones, a longtime activist, author, and creator of the AIDS Memorial Quilt. Charlie and Cleve, welcome back to the show. Great to be back. Well, you two have known each other for a long time and had a mutual friend, Gilbert Baker, who created the original rainbow flag. Cleve, you were actually there and took part in making the original rainbow flag. And I know you've told this story a million times, but for our listeners who don't know it, tell us, how did the rainbow flag come to be? Well, it was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, No, it was uh, 1978, and... um, Gilbert and I were both working with what was then called the Gay Freedom Day Committee that produces the annual uh, parade and celebration uh, and commemorating Stonewall. I was the media chair and Gilbert had sort of ensconced himself at one of the early gay centers. Uh, it's a parking lot now, it was at 330 Grove Street in in uh, San Francisco. And I, I knew Gilbert, everybody knew Gilbert. He was such a crazy queen and uh, quite outrageous. And he wanted to get a little budget for decorations. And um, I think Charlie, I think you actually tracked down the minutes from that uh, committee authorizing. Do you remember how much we gave him? I, I don't recall. We gave him a thousand dollars. We spent a couple days digging through the one archives down in LA 
where all of the records for that uh, you know organization for 77, 78, 79 all went to. And uh, we found the actual vote and, and all the, you know, talking about whether they wanted to do it. Uh, and uh, yeah, they gave them $1,000 and they spent it all on fabric and dyes and, and, and made it and big. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed. I noticed in the records they had some receipts, but not for everything. So um, Gilbert uh, started dyeing the fabric, and I, I actually got to help uh, dye the fabric for that first flag. Uh, actually, there were two flags. There was the uh, basic rainbow flag, though with eight uh, stripes instead of the current six, and then there was a second flag which was modeled somewhat after the the united states flag though instead of um stars on the in the blue square it was uh tie-dyed white uh, bursts and they were both quite quite gorgeous and he had uh you know, there were these two enormous flagpoles at United Nations Plaza, which for those of you who aren't familiar with San Francisco is uh, right where Civic Center Plaza connects to Market Street at the uh, eastern end of Civic Center Plaza. So he knew that all the parade uh, coming up Market Street, everybody would pass between those two giant flagpoles. So he created mm -hmm. those first two flags for those two flagpoles. And I was there when we raised them up a few hours before the parade and the wind blew and took them. And, uh, you know, it was just so magnificently beautiful. And I, I think even Gilbert was just uh, completely astonished at how dramatic and fantastic they were. And it was so lovely to, you know, just stand there as thousands and thousands of people walked underneath those flags and looked up and you could see people just kind of getting it and uh, uh which is which is not to say that it happened overnight and I think this is one part of the story that sometimes gets forgotten and one of the reasons why I really appreciate what what Charlie's been doing to keep Gilbert's name and legacy alive which is that at that moment Gilbert you know dedicated his life to that flag and mm -hmm. he would spend the rest of his life sewing flag after flag after flag and banners and and mostly giving them away he he you know he didn't uh, copyright this he didn't make money off of it he he just he tried sometimes <laughs> but um you know it, it was it, it became his life's work um mm -hmm. there's one other part to this that sometimes gets simplified in a way that i i, I honestly find a little bit annoying which is you know this notion that Harvey Milk commissioned uh, Gilbert to make a flag. Harvey didn't commission him. Harvey didn't have any money to commission anybody. The Pride Committee gave him a little bit of money, but Harvey was part of a conversation with a number of activists from that time, including an, an incredible uh, gay liberation activist and later AIDS activist named Hank Wilson. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we had many conversations about the need for a new and better symbol, because at that point, the two symbols that were, well, I guess there were three symbols that one saw frequently. One was the intertwined gender symbols. Right. Uh, uh, one was the uh, Greek letter L, the lambda, mm -hmm. 
and then what was the pink triangle and the uh the lambda you know i still to this day don't like quite understand how the lambda became our symbol. And I've read many explanations and each one leaves me even more confused. And then the big triangle, of course, has a powerful history, but it's the history of the Nazi death camps. And right. later, much later, it would be turned upside down by ACT UP as a symbol of defiance. But uh, you know, I remember Gilbert saying, you know, what, what's the problem with the pink triangle? Hitler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, yeah, he was part of that. And it was a long conversation. And Gilbert was the one who found the answer. Yeah. And um, if I can just add, I uh, I think Cleve has pointed out to me in the past, too, that this conversation was not just in San Francisco as well. I mean, yeah. there was a, a, a cry out for some sort of more hopeful rallying banner. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say this, that, you know, in Gilbert's um, memoir, he wrote very eloquently about, you know, his inspiration for the flag. And the one thing that people miss a lot is the first decision he made was to have a flag. And right. I want to make that distinction. People were saying, we need a new symbol. The pink right. triangle was not a flag. The lambda was not a flag. The intertwined gender symbols were not flags. Gilbert wrote how, you know, in earlier in his life, he kind of mocked the American flag as a symbol of, you know, false patriotism, it was the era of the Vietnam War. But he saw during the bicentennial in 1776, the power of the American flag, it was everywhere. It was, you know, just a, a kind of a uber branding moment. And then he started studying flags uh you know he actually became kind of a big deal in the vexological community and those are people who study flags and uh, he was very respected in that community um you know he really understood that you know flags are something that people um imbue with power mm -hmm. you know the power of the rainbow flag did not come from gilbert it comes from the people who love it and put their passion into it. Um, they pour themselves into it. I mean, Gilbert, on the back of a very famous book about flags, they quote Gilbert saying, you know, flags are, a true flag is not designed, it's ripped from the soul of the people. And, you know, so Gilbert decided, we need a flag. You know, we people march into battle under flags. Um, they die under flags, as we learned so sadly this past week. Um, that, uh, so he understood that and then, you know, he decided that it was really the diversity of our community that inspired the rainbow. So, uh, that's how he wrote in his memoir and it's been recorded for a long time. And, um, and, uh, he really knocked it out of the park. I got to tell you, it is at this point, um, James Farragut, who's the vice president of the North American Vexillological Society says it's the eighth most recognized symbol in the world. Mm -hmm. Everybody around this globe, when they see it, they know what it is. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and it, you know, there's the American flag, the British Union Jack, the French tricolor, the Nike swoosh, <laughs> the McDonald's arches and the rainbow flag. It is that big. And, yeah. you know, I like to say we're just a little foundation with this mammoth symbol to defend. So, um, and, you know, um, so many of our contemporaries, uh, Gilbert and I, you know, lost so many of our friends to the pandemic. And mm -hmm. one of the things I'm grateful for, though, I, I still miss Gilbert terribly, uh, but 
How wonderful that he did live long enough to see what he did and to, to understand that this crazy idea of his had spread all across the globe and it had been embraced as a symbol of love and resistance uh, by all sorts of different kinds of people in so many different cultures. It's it's extraordinary and I, I'm uh, really grateful that he, he got that, uh, got to see that happen. Yeah, I think uh, the day they passed the Supreme Court uh, ruled on gay marriage, I think that night when they lit the White House, our friend Jeff Tiller, you can read Jeff Tiller's story in Flag in the Map, actually, you see that picture of the White House. Uh, you know, when that lit up and then the Eiffel Tower and the the the, uh, the Sydney Bay, the Sydney Opera House and the Niagara Falls. I mean, it was, I remember Gilbert being like, oh my God, it was you know, <laughs> taken to, it was already huge. And actually another little story I don't think it's told often enough is, and I think we have to thank Cleve as for this as much as Gilbert, uh, if not more, was when he created the Milong flag for Stonewall 25. Oh my God. Uh, the way that was engineered and uh, the way that the flag was then cut into pieces and pieces were smuggled over to Fifth Avenue for an illegal act up march. And then those pieces, which was part of the bigger plan, were given to activist groups from around the world. And then the next year, you're seeing these giant flags in London and Rio de Janeiro and Cuba and all, you know, all these countries around the world. And what was a big national symbol suddenly became a big international symbol. And so, you know, Cleve got the funding for that and uh, helped Gilbert with that. And for that reason, I think, uh, you know, uh, we can thank them for <laughs> making it global. Uh, Gilbert and I nearly killed each other during that. Oh my God. I wasn't going to talk I about that part. <laughs> Gilbert could be a bit difficult. And a I, little bit? And I can be extremely difficult. <laughs> yeah. He, he, let's say he mellowed a bit later in life. But, uh, he did. He did. But I just want to highlight a couple of details that you that you said very quickly. First of all, this is a mile long flag that he hand sewed. He well, he machine sewed. Yeah. Uh, they got a workshop up here on Sixteenth Street, uh, just about five blocks from where I live in New York City, uh, and um, they he went to uh, Atlanta with his friend Tom Taylor, who was a great mm -hmm. patron of Gilbert's uh, in San Francisco. And another hero in in, in that in, in the history of the flag, they went to Atlanta and ordered up miles of fabric and these special machines for doing these stitches with threads coming from every direction. And uh, and uh, they christened that space. And he sat and sewed, yeah, a mile long, six colors. I think his assistant Richard did some of the stitching. And what a lot of people don't know is that James McNamara. Uh huh was one of the original volunteers along with Cleve and a woman named uh, Lynn Siegerblom who were really crucial in, in helping to get those flags made. Uh, James McNamara came to New York and volunteered for a few weeks and we were just like all like floored this, you know, it was like royalty was coming to 
make the New York flag who had actually sewed uh, the original San Francisco flag. So, but Gilbert probably sewed about 99% yeah. of that flag itself. Yeah. And they had these huge, uh, I don't know, eight by eight rolling wooden platforms to hold the thing. This thing weighed 7,000 pounds. And so as you sewed it, it came off one platform and you're sewing the green to the yellow and it going, it's getting folded on the other platform. The logistics of it were incredible. The logistics of folding it, it was decided that it would be folded into a, a like a long tube uh, with the red color on the outside as if it was a giant red ribbon in, mm. in, uh, in uh, you know, the symbol that uh, became known for the battle against AIDS. And then just the three weeks of folding, tying little knots around this thing with a little bit of string, loading it up into a truck, which Tom Taylor drove over to First Avenue that morning um, in 1994. And uh, that flag was unfurled. And it was kind of incredible um, uh, the, to watch it come out of the truck because, you know, they were... It, people, volunteers were taking the beginning in this mile-long flag. By the time it had gone a block, people who were trying to untie these little knots you know, couldn't keep up with it. It literally took on a, this thing became alive. It was just pulling out of the truck and the strings were just going, pop, 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 you know, all by themselves. It was, it was, uh, it was incredible. Incredible uh, to witness it. We were lucky to have a, an amazing photographer, Mick Hicks, up in a helicopter uh, uh, photographing um, that event. Mick Hicks, who was also there to photograph the original flags. There's a really famous picture of him on stage behind Harvey Milk giving a speech. And then off in the distance, you can see the two original flags. Mm. Uh, Mick is somebody that, you know, I, I think Gilbert was very smart. He always wanted to have photographers around. <laughs> so he, he learned about media at the hand, uh, at the at the foot of very smart people like Cleve Jones. Uh, he knew he had to get the picture. So yeah. uh, it was incredible. Important history. Cleve, I want to go back to the 70s. And I remember reading in your book, uh, When We Rise, how you came to the Castro, but but for our listeners who are not familiar with your story, what drew you to San Francisco? Because you weren't born here. What what brought you here? No, I was born in Indiana, and my parents were in graduate school, so we moved around and, until they both finished and got uh, professorships at Arizona State, where I went to high school. And you know, I was a pretty uh, badly abused kid. Uh, my parents were were wonderful and. Didn't, but I hid from them what was happening at school, uh, mm. a lot of bullying. And I was pretty suicidal. I was recently showing somebody my high school yearbook photo, and they said, well, what was that kid thinking? And I said, he was thinking about killing himself. And then um, mm. it's become sort of a... I've told the story so many times, it almost doesn't seem real. But what really happened was I was hiding in the library, uh, pretending that... I had a cold or something, so I didn't have to go to gym class because I got beat up. Mm. And um, I picked up a copy of Life magazine, the year in review, 1971. And it had a story about gay liberation. And it was a big story. I mean, it was many pages. I think maybe as many as 10 pages yeah. with 
photographs from Greenwich Village and New York and LA and San Francisco. And uh, that was the first time I, I learned. I mean, everything's so different now. I mean, half the newscasters we see on the national news broadcasts are openly gay or lesbian. And there's all sorts of uh, celebrities and politicians and writers and just so many role models for young people to look at and say, oh, I can be queer and I can still do something uh, with my life that's useful and has but it wasn't that way. There were no, there were, nobody had charted any course. And so in one fell swoop, I learned that there were other people like me Mm -hmm. that there was a community and that there was a movement and that that movement was part of the movement I, as a young person, had already joined the movement and the war in Vietnam, the civil rights movement, the equal rights movement, uh, the, the fight for the ERA. We were progressive. So when I learned that there was a place within that movement for people who were like me, it was just most astonishing thing. And that's when I decided to not kill myself and to get the hell out of Phoenix. And I hitchhiked to San Francisco. Hmm. What an adventure that must have been. And I got a sense from what the story you just told that activism and being part of this movement was with you before you came to San Francisco. That was part of your fiber. Yeah, I think the first... Um, I think the first thing I organized, I was probably 15. It was the uh, October 15th, 1969 Vietnam moratorium, uh, which was organized by our friend David Mixner, who was not yet out of the closet. It was uh, an extraordinary, uh, one of the most uh, powerful protests in the history of the country at that point. I think, I think it has since been, uh, there have been protests that, since that have become larger but at that point, there were, it took place in cities and towns and villages all across the country. And I organized a, a high school student march in uh, Phoenix. Um, also, around the same time, Cesar Chavez and the farm workers were organizing um, the people who were picking grapes in, uh, in Arizona. And I was going to Quaker meeting. My mother got me going to Quaker meeting. She'd discovered that some of my father's ancestors were Quakers, but more importantly, the Friends, as they're called, the Society of Friends, were very active in the anti-war movement and in uh, draft resistance. And my mother uh, was very concerned, as was I, that I would be drafted and sent off to fight in Vietnam. So uh, the Quakers were very, very progressive and also had they were doing uh, commitment ceremonies for same-sex couples mm. as early as the mid-60s. So I'm just so lucky that I had them. I mean, so many people are tossed out of their churches and that can be a real hard thing, especially for a young person. But in my case, that did not happen. Um, and I found that Life magazine story and read about San Francisco. <laughs> wow. And then you then you arrived and you met a lot of wonderful people. I, I think one of the stories that I love the most in your book is when you were sitting in that cafe and this guy sat down and introduced himself as Sylvester to you. That was my first night in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, we re remained friends for the for the rest of his life. Um, I met Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon, who started the Daughters of Belitis. Yeah. I met Jim Foster, who was the first out uh, gay person to address a 
political convention. He spoke at the Democratic National Convention at, in uh, 1972. And then, um, and I met Hank Wilson, who I mentioned earlier, who uh, he and uh, another guy named Howard Wallace uh, were really my, I think my first mentors. Howard came out of the uh, Socialist Workers Party and was a labor organizer. Hank was a school teacher and friend of Harvey Milk's. Um, so I, I was so lucky. And then I met Harvey, who at first I didn't really take seriously. He seemed kind of silly and he, he was still in his hippie phase and had a ponytail and mm -hmm. I, I thought he was a bit too old for to be a hippie. But um, I soon came to understand that uh, he was something special and he saw something in me and was extremely kind to me. Very, very kind. What what did he teach? What was the one thing you could say that he taught you that has been most impactful to you in your life? Find common ground. Hmm. I mean, that's clearly it. It's, uh, I mean, you could add on all sorts of other stuff about, you know, being out and proud, though it took him forever to come out. But he was a, he could find some, he could meet anybody and charm them with some self-deprecating humor and then find something that they had in common. It could be a rich white lady up on Knob Hill. It could be a homeless kid, a firefighter, a union guy. Uh, he could connect with all different kinds of people. He had a very genuine empathy. And he also was very careful to use words and communicate in a way that drew people in. Uh, and this is something I'm always telling young people is pay attention to the words that you're using. Don't, don't distance yourself from people with a vocabulary they don't know. Find common ground. <clears throat> um, in the labor movement, <clears throat> excuse me, where, where I do most of my work now, like I, I work for Unite Here, which is the hospitality workers union. So if we're organizing a uh, the staff of a, a big hotel, hundreds or sometimes even thousands of workers, and they come from all different countries and all different backgrounds, and they're all different genders and sexual orientation. And that's very handy for the boss to keep them divided. So right. big part of what we do is storytelling where the workers share the stories of why they came to the United States and what their situation is and where their families are. And when you can find that common ground, then you can find solidarity and then you can win. And finding solidarity in our community is very, very difficult. That was identified back in the 30s by Magnus Hirschfeld that it is very difficult to uh, find solidarity with well, the word he used then was homosexuals because of course, we're born into all different skin colors and faith backgrounds and economic classes. So this has been a, an ongoing thing. Our diversity is our greatest strength and our greatest challenge. Sure. Yeah. Charlie, uh, I want to go back to your relationship with Gilbert. Um, you're you're leading the foundation now after his passing, but but how yeah. did you meet Gilbert and become friends? Um. Well, I actually had some old San Francisco friends uh, that I'd met here in New York before I met Gilbert. Um, my oldest brother, Dana Beal, is kind of a notorious old <laughs> hippie, uh, a pot activist uh, for for many decades. But he actually started out in the anti-war movement with the SDS in Michigan. 
uh, graduated high school, moved to New York, uh, was set up on some scam bust or something. He ended up underground for seven years. Uh, so I actually grew up in a rather uh, <laughs> an activist household <laughs> as well with the FBI coming to our door to see if anybody had seen him or checking the doors of all the neighbors up and down the street to see if they'd seen him. Anyway, I had moved to New York. My brother was still living here. He had created his whole life for himself as a marijuana uh, activist, including as a medical marijuana activist, uh, which, you know, Cleve and Gilbert were both part of. So I had met this guy, Dennis Perone, and uh, he was a big activist in San Francisco, an old friend. And uh, uh, this guy, Gilbert Baker, was coming to New York to do this mile-long rainbow flag. And I go over to my brother's house one day, and there's Gilbert, and he's got these huge sketches of this rainbow flag going up Fifth Avenue. And uh, uh, I thought, wow, that is cool. I want to work on that. You know what I mean? And I mean, the first thing I, it was so funny, because the first thing I told him, I said, you know, Gilbert, you know, I'm a filmmaker. What you've drawn is a helicopter shot of this rainbow flag going up Fifth Avenue. He said, really, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, he said, and it's funny because I eventually put him in touch with Al Cirillo, a national helicopter, <laughs> the people who shot the Mylog flag, but I just, I just, we just hit it off. That's all I can say. I volunteered, I was at the workshop, I saw his ups and downs, and, uh, you know, was there for the big unveiling and the big, big, you know, conspiracy to cut the flag up and defy Giuliani and get that flag over to Fifth Avenue. And um, I gave him a key to my apartment and he came, um, he spent the next, um, I don't know, six, seven years between San Francisco, New York and LA, uh, working at the, uh, the medical marijuana infirmary in LA, working at the pot club in San Francisco, working on the rainbow flag. Uh, we went to Rome in 2000 for the very first World Pride celebration mm. and uh, was involved in helping him to try to do an exhibit there, which was fraught because every time he went to see a gallery, they would agree to do the show. And the next day they called and say they couldn't do it. And we found out that the Vatican of course. was sending their emissaries around telling people, don't rent to the gays, don't rent galleries to the gays, don't rent hotel rooms to the gays. And uh, so it was a tough, a tough uh, event to overcome. They impounded his artwork. We had to have a fundraiser in New York, raise money to get it out of customs. And, uh, you know, we were just always doing stuff like that. You know, it would be that, it would be a parade, it would be working on the moving milk. And <laughs> Cleve will remember this. We're doing this research because Cleve and these people brought in all these photographs of, uh, banners from these marches in San Francisco. And in the movie, we were restaging these big protest marches that are all the way through the streets of San Francisco. And I sent these photographs to Gilbert. And I said, do you know these banners? And Gilbert was back in New York. He had moved to New York by then. And he said, honey, I know those banners. I made those banners. So with the help of Cleve and the producers, we got Gilbert to come out to San Francisco to remake these original banners for the movie. And it was just every, you know, every, things like that. He, I went to the White House with him to give a, a flag to President Obama. You know, it was, I, I always kind of joke that like, I was the other guy at the other end of the banner. You know, mm -hmm. I was always Gilbert, yeah, we're going to a marriage rally, Times Square. Come on, you know, you gotta hold the banner. So <laughs> that was my job. I, you know, the, Charlie, the I, I still have scars 
on my ankle, on my left ankle from when I slipped and fell on the rocks in Key West as we were oh. dipping it to, into the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I have a photograph of that, Cleve. As a matter of fact, I think it's probably the moment. Uh, uh, not only did, did Gilbert do the mile-long flag in New York, but right. in 2003 for the 20th, 25th anniversary, he created a mile and a quarter flag with the help of Scott Seitz and the Absolute uh, Vodka Corporation. They created another world record they called it the sea to sea flag. It went right. from the Gulf of Mexico to the Atlantic Ocean. And there's a great picture of Cleve carrying that damn flag over the rocks to get it into the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was always he was always uh, snagging people and getting them involved. He was a little bit of a, a Tom Sawyer that way, you know, painting yeah. the fence here, get, take a paintbrush, help out, you know, because he knew his work was uh, community art. He knew that he needed people. He knew he needed people to carry banners and to to participate. And he knew that if he pulled out a banner, you know, to protest Russian vodka because of Vladimir Putin, you know, as soon as it pulled it out, people would just show up and grab it. And, yeah. and same with these giant flags, you know, they were always there to pick up the corners and uh, and participate. And he was a great instigator that way. He was a, a real instigator and. Uh, and he did it with art. It's very different from some other people. Uh, he always liked to say art as a political tool. He wanted to call this book <laughs> that title. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, he was an artist. He was yeah. probably the greatest uh, queer artist ever, I think, at this point, because of the creation of that flag. I, I don't know who else compares to that. Well, one of the one of the art installations that's coming up on its 25th anniversary, and Cleve, maybe you can tell the story about how this came to be, is the giant rainbow flag that sits on Market Street uh, near Castro. And Gilbert had a very specific idea about what he wanted that flagpole to be. Oh, Charlie probably remembers it better than I do, but he, I do remember quite clearly Gilbert spending a lot of time just looking at the sight line uh, down Market Street. For those of your listeners who are familiar, um, you know, there's a direct line that goes from the ferry building at the Bay up Market Street heading west. And then Market Street begins to bend as it goes up the hill to towards Twin Peaks. And Gilbert wanted that flag positioned exactly within that sight line. And it took him quite a, uh, it was quite a battle of the bureaucrats because this little piece of land has multiple jurisdictions. It's uh, where there was at one point going to be a BART uh, station. There's a Muni Metro station. It's city property. There was private property. So Gilbert finally pigeonholed our mayor at the time, Willie Brown, and got his assistance. And this went up and... Uh, it's still there. And, you know, there's been different attempts over the years for people to modify it. And I, I just do everything I can. And Charlie's been a huge help in resisting that to, you know, keep that the way it is. It's uh, it's uh, just, uh, and Gilbert said, you know, this is going to fly 24-7. And um, it's always to be up there. We uh, He didn't want it lowered. Some people wanted it lowered to half mass to commemorate things. Um but of course, that would be very dangerous because it would bring the flag very, very close to the the power lines. 
Yeah, that that flag is is definitely the centerpiece of the neighborhood, and there are so many other flags now that have come about, uh, representing different sub communities. Charlie, what's your, what's your thought about all of that? I mean, we have the Philadelphia version of the flag, we have the progressive flag. Now there's the progressive flag with the intersect symbol. And uh, what's your what's your thoughts well, about it? Um, well, it's interesting you say that because. Uh, we as a foundation were kind of confronted with this. It was just brought to us over and over again about um, two years ago. And we were having these discussions and board meetings about what do we do about this? And people are asking us what we think about all these flags. Um, I actually uh, 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 consulted with people like Michael Bronsky at Harvard and Sierra Jones, who's written very eloquent about, uh, you know, people of color in the flag. And, 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 you know, I kind of started digging in this. And in the end, we decided we were going to do an exhibit about it because uh, we realized, you know, people love these flags. One thing I've, I've gotten to know is you can't tell people where their allegiance goes. If they love the, the, the lesbian flag or the trans flag or the progress flag, they love it. It's a passionate relationship they have with this symbol. And so to try to engage them in any sort of rational discussion about it is kind of fruitless. So what we decided was to be take, a, I guess, a more scholarly approach. And I reached out to the creators of many of these flags. And we created an exhibit called In Their Own Voices, where Amber Hypes, who created the Philly flag, and uh, Dan Quasar created the progress flag, Monica Helms, who created the trans flag, they all wrote about what their flag means and how it came about. And we put this exhibit up in the Stonewall Inn. It was supposed to be up a month. It's still there. Mm -hmm. uh, we put it up in the uh, old Harvey Milk camera store. Uh, and it's since played in Paris and Provincetown and other cities. But, um, you know, we really come to the point, I, I always like to say, you know, fly the flag that speaks to your soul. There's room in the sky for all of them. Uh, I and love I that. that. Yeah. I will say this. When we launched our exhibit, uh, we did a live stream out of Stonewall and, and uh, uh, there were 42 community flags. By the following September, there were 92. And now we're talking identity flags. Now we're talking micro identity flags. And then some friend of me just sent me a design for his wedding flag. So, you know, people can, you know, I guess, yeah. what could you say? You know what I mean? But, um, we really, you know, uh, feel that Gilbert's flag is probably the most unifying. Um, he didn't concern himself with identity. There's no lesbian stripe or gay stripe or bi stripe or trans stripe. Uh, you know, these co the rec colors represent uh, elements, you know, like sunlight and sex and love and spirit and, and serenity and nature. Mm -hmm. So uh, he knew those elements were in all of us. Uh, there's a little er interview on our website www.gilbertbaker.com. Got to get that plug in on the flag colors. Well, he says it much better than me, but, um, uh, you know, so we, you know, especially in this day and age where people are trying to ban the rainbow flag, where people are trying to burn the rainbow flag in New York, somebody defecated on a rainbow flag. They vandalized the rainbow flags at Stonewall Memorial Park. And horribly last week, a woman in California was murdered for flying a rainbow flag. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we talk about the rainbow flag to us, it's, it's, it's very deep, it's very spiritual. 
And, uh, you know, as far as the flag at Harvey Milk Plaza, you know, we, we want to, you know, our, our initiative is called Save the Rainbow Flag, uh, you know, where we're fighting these bands, communities across the country. But uh, as far as that flag, you know, to us, that's saving the most important rainbow flag in the world. That flag at Harvey Milk Plaza was one of the greatest uh, works of art that Gilbert created. It is a work of art. It's not a community flagpole. He found that flagpole. He designed that flag. He spent 10 years designing it. He did paintings about it. He, you know, did drawings and, and weight loads and how to shim a flag and, you know, how they're going to install it there on a hundred foot flagpole and how much stress it takes waving in the wind. He figured all that out. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And uh, we want it to be landmarked because we want to protect it for Gilbert, but we want to protect it for our community. Right. We are under attack and people are attacking our symbol and our flag. And so I think that gives us a greater urgency to protect it and to protect our community and protect our symbols. Yeah, and I think the history of the flag and Gilbert's original definition of the meaning of it, what was behind it, is a bit of the story that has been lost over the generations. When I talk to students about, you know, what does this flag mean? What does it symbolize? They don't know. And, and you described it perfectly. It, it includes elements that are in all of us. It transcends our entire community. And, uh, you know, my own opinion, Cleve, I, I want to hear from you about what you think about all these other flags. I agree. I think the other flags are important, but the original Gilbert Baker flag is the mother flag that is inclusive of our entire community. Cleve, what, do, I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, Charlie and I don't exactly agree on, on this sometimes, but... I do appreciate his uh, dignified and gentle approach to the subject. Um, I think it's important also to acknowledge that Gilbert himself made many variations. There was the original flag with eight bars, which then um, mostly for logistical, technical reasons was re reduced to six bars. Uh, there were different fabrics that were employed over the years. Uh, he himself designed rainbow versions of, uh, I think, all 50 states, um, many nations. So uh, he knew that there would be uh, varieties. And he also lived long enough to see it incorporated into so much corporate marketing. So, you know, mm -hmm. you have rainbow Mickey Mouse ears at Disney World and all of this stuff. Um, I do think that when the first, and Charlie, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first... The, the second identity flag that emerged was from the Levi and Leather community with the uh, blue and black and white and red with the red heart. Um, That's correct, in 1986. 86, thank you. And, and I think that Gilbert, for a, for a fleeting moment, felt somewhat disappointed that people did not feel that the rainbow flag represented them. And then that was followed by the bear flag and the trans flag and the rest. And I think this all speaks to something I alluded to earlier, which is just the what a challenge it is to create solidarity in a community that is so sprawling and so diverse. Um, as you know, the the current uh, the current conversations also I think sometimes leave out an important part of Gilbert's story that I think speaks to the quilt, but also to Gilbert's character. Gilbert 
was hired by the Pride Committee, what we, the Gay Freedom Day Committee in San Francisco to create decorations. Out of that came the flag and it was created at the three, at 330 Grove. Um, and there was an effort by others to copyright it. And Gilbert got his own lawyers and went to great lengths to ensure that this would be free and owned by the people and that no one could control it, no one could copyright it. People could make rainbow things and sell them for profit, but you know there was no licensing, nothing like that. And so for me, the progress flag is a big departure in that one regard. Sure. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to criticize the guy, but you know, it's just interesting to me that there is a version of a, a flag that is supposed to represent a, a people and a movement, uh, but one has to be licensed uh, to create it. And I find that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really in favor of that. Mm -hmm. But people love that flag. So, I mean, as Charlie said, you, you can't control or dictate how people respond to a flag any more than you can control how people respond to a, a piece of music or a, a work of art. We, we are moved by what moves us. And uh, this, these flags continue to move and inspire uh, people all across the planet. So I'm, I'm cool with that. Great. Yeah. We've got about five minutes left and I, I definitely want to get to talking about flag in the map uh, because this is this big event that is coming to Napa Valley College on Saturday, October 6th. Uh, in the spirit of Gilbert Baker and everything he represented, it's a free event, and we want everybody from the community to come and join us. Charlie, how did Flag in the Map come to be? Well, uh, it's really interesting. Um, i got to thank our board member, Aaron Casserly-Stewart, who, believe it or not, was at one point like the pro tem mayor of Gilbert's hometown of Parsons, Kansas. It was going to get Gilbert to come there and, and give him the key to the city, and then Gilbert went and died. <laughs> so anyway, I got to know Aaron, and uh, he's since moved to London. He's a big music promoter. He used to be involved with Prince and all these people. And uh, he had this friend, uh, Drew Dalton, who runs an organization called Report Out. And Report Out uh, does exactly that. They report on uh, sexual and gender minority conditions in the 73 countries where it's illegal to even wave a rainbow flag. Uh, they provide data for the United Nations and Human Rights Watch as opposed to anecdotes, which is a big deal in terms of getting things changed. And Drew had this, you know, was, I was talking with Drew and I was like, we should do something and we should do an exhibit. And it was basically a collaboration with Drew and his team who uh, solicit submissions from around the globe and especially countries where you can't really wave a rainbow flag and to get people to send us a photograph and to answer two simple questions. What does this photograph mean? And what does the rainbow flag mean to you? And we got hundreds of amazing submissions. We winnowed it down to uh, about 48 of them, I think, which would be approximately that much. I never keep track of the exhibit that you're doing. Uh, and, um, and it's incredible to hear stories from a, a refugee camp in Kenya where they did their first pride march at the biggest refugee camp in the world and they got about you know 50 people and they got about three quarters of a mile before they were attacked and beaten and their flags were taken and burned uh we still work with these people by the way we've raised money for them 
to uh, these people in Ukraine who, uh, to protest, uh, this is before the war, but to protest Vladimir Putin in his aggressive speech, uh, they took two drones and one of them is a, a took this flag up in front of this giant statue. It's called the mother of the country, this old Soviet era statue. And it has a woman holding a sword. So they flew a flag in front of it with a drone to make it look like she's holding the rainbow flag. Mm. And they used another drone to take the picture. So people see this in the exhibit, they think, oh, it's Photoshopped. It's not. So this, uh, you know, and, and just the incredible stories that these kids in Indonesia trying to get a rainbow flag into a parade because they couldn't have a gay parade and they couldn't have it. You know what I mean? They can't even be out, but they managed to do it. Uh, the, the stories of bravery of are just unbelievable. And so uh, we've done this exhibit in nine cities so far in New York and uh, twice, San Francisco, uh, Provincetown, um, up in the state capital in Albany, New York, in London and Leeds Museum and this past spring in the Paris, uh, US Embassy in Paris. So we're proud to bring it up to uh, uh, Napa College. And then uh, to Guerneville Pride, That's, isn't that right, Cleve? Yes, Guerneville Pride is October 13, 14, and 15. And we're gonna have a parade on the 15th down Main Street and a party on Johnson's Beach. So come to Guerneville, folks. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, those, and uh, like I said, we're also doing this exhibit in Malta for Euro Pride. Uh, it's really touched people. It's kind of caught fire, I think, for the very simple reason that it's just people, our community, telling their stories. And we've actually included, by the way, some of the other flags you were just speaking of. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, you know. Gilbert talked about Harvey's skill of, you know, reaching out and, and being able to find common ground with people. We think that's what this exhibit does. People who may not know the story or may not understand our community, I, I watch them walk through the exhibit. I watch them and, and there's so many of them, they get to the end, they're almost in tears and they connect and it, it, it connects people to our community in a way that maybe couldn't have been done before. I mean, um, you know, Cleve with the quilt, especially it was a brilliant work of art. You know, you have to reach the hearts as well as the minds. And we think this exhibit does that, uh, reaches both. And um, and we're really proud of it and really grateful that you're gonna sponsor this exhibit, Greg. Oh, I can't Thank wait. Uh, Cleve, I'm curious, the first time you saw the collection of images, is there one in your mind that that stood out to you that really resonated with you? Um, no, I can't pick one. It's really beautifully done. Um, Charlie just sent me the catalog, which I took down to the guy at the Ole Gallery on Main Street in Guerneville, who's going to be hosting the display there. It, this, I, I, that's an unfair question. It's also like people say, well, Cleve, when you look at the, the AIDS Memorial quilt, which are the panels that, sure. you know, move you the most, I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just really well done. And I, I have to, uh, again, thank Charlie. I, you know, I'm, I miss Gilbert. Gilbert, Gilbert and I had a very, very long and sometimes tumultuous friendship over many decades and there's not a day go by that goes by without me missing him or I find myself reaching for the phone to call him and you know Charlie you've just done such a wonderful job and 
Uh, I don't happen to believe in an afterlife, but if there was one, uh, uh, you know, I think he would be looking down at what you're doing and just be uh, so very, very proud. So I'm, I'm really grateful to you. And, and Greg, thank you for your part in getting these stories out there and helping people understand our history and, and understanding that there are people like Harvey Milk and Gilbert Baker in this world who uh, have all sorts of, of flaws and failures in their lives, but in fact can change the world. And I think that's something I would, I, I hope that that's something we can all aspire to. Well, yeah. I, I argue that both of you have changed the world. It's not just about doing it. You both have. Um, I'm such fans. Uh, you inspire me with your work. And I cannot wait for our college community and our local community here to be able to meet you both uh, at this very special program we have. Saturday, October 6th, the speaking program starts at 7.30 p.m. Charlie and Cleve will both be there. Uh, and we'll have Cleve's book available for sale. We'll have Gilbert Baker's memoir available, so you can really get a chance to see the flag of the map exhibit and learn more about uh, our rich history. So, Thank you. Yeah, so we unfortunately, I think I could talk to you two for days um, and hear your stories, uh, but we are out of time. And I just want to thank you both for being with us tonight and most of all for, for traveling to Napa Valley College on October 6th. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. And if you would like to get tickets to the speaking event with Charlie Beal and Cleve Jones, they're available free of charge. You just need to go to our website at OutBeatNews.com. You'll find details and a link to tickets in the center of the page. The Flag in the Map exhibit happens on Friday, October 6th, starting at 12 noon at Napa Valley College. Well, that wraps up our hour. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a fantastic week and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia. Our shows are available for on-demand play anytime on our website at OutBeatNews.com and on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now on iHeartRadio. Find links to subscribe at OutBeatNews.com. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCB-FM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free-range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air-chilled, non-GMO, locally raised right here in Sonoma County with no antibiotics ever. More information is available at rockyandrosie.com. You're listening to 104.9 KRCB-FM Roner Park and KRCG-FM Windsor, Sonoma County's NPR station. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Beale Street Caravan is next.